Kia from your Every Nation Southside family here in Papatoitoi, Auckland. You are now listening to a podcast from our church service and we pray that you will be blessed by it. For more information, please visit our Facebook page or feel free to contact our church office. If you haven't been here for the last couple of uh, weeks, we're actually in the middle of a series called Make Room. Uh, Luti alluded to it just before. And it's all about the Holy Spirit. Uh, and so I thought that there's no better way to start talking about the Holy Spirit than to start my talk by talking about laundry. I love laundry. I actually do. I'm not being sarcastic. Um, it's a passion of mine. Anyone who's been in my laundry room know that I love to have all the different flavors of the different, you know, smells and the... Um, Always like to stock up before I run out because, you know, that would be just terrible if I ran out of one of my flavors of the smells. You know, I love the smell of clean laundry, you know, and I always put a timer on my phone because the moment the washing machine finishes, it has to go straight in the dryer. Can't be five minutes, can't be six minutes, has to go straight into the dryer or outside on the line. And so recently, um, my washing machine, which has been faithful to my family for over 20 years, I, I remember the day it got delivered to my mom, who had it before me, and it was in 1993, and it was an awesome washing machine, you're sitting there saying, is she seriously telling us about her washing machine, it was an awesome washing machine, okay, it was really great, and it finally died uh, late last year, and so we had to get a new one, <laughs> Ula's like, can we get along with the message? So we had to get a new one and had to get a new dryer as well. Um, and because uh, we have a sister in our church here who uh, works for a really awesome company and she was able to um, help me out and get me a good deal through her work, we were able to get these two new glorious pieces of whiteware. And, but the thing is, when it got delivered, we had to get rid of the old stuff in order for it to come into my Beautiful new laundry room. No, the laundry room's not new. The stuff that came in is new. And so we, we had to make room. We had to get rid of my old faithful washing machine, my old faithful dryer, you know, gave the place a vacuum and a mop. And we had to prepare the place for the new things that were coming in because uh, if we didn't, we weren't going to be able to enjoy the benefits of this new stuff that was coming and, you know, in us, in our lives, when there's something important that is coming, you have to make room for it. And, you know, I just shared with you for the last probably too many minutes how important laundry is to me. And so when something is important to you, you make room for it. And so it's the same with the Holy Spirit in our lives. You know, as followers of Jesus, we are called to actually live supernatural lives. It is the Holy Spirit that gives us the supernatural power that we need to live and do everything that God has called us to do. Because you know what? A lot of what God calls us to do is very, very hard. Some of it, I would say, in fact, a lot of it is actually impossible without his supernatural health. I mean, help. I mean, if you think about it, it takes a lot of faith and grace to forgive people who hurt us. 
It takes a lot of faith to be generous and give, especially when you yourself uh, don't have much. But God tells us to give. He tells us to forgive. And how are we supposed to love our enemies? Because they're a bunch of jerks. How can I be expected (laughs) to love my enemies? You know, people who talk about you behind your back, people who hate on you, backstab you, and they actually, you know, wish that you would fail in what you're doing. How are we supposed to love them? Well, you know what? It's impossible. It is impossible to do on your own. It takes a lot of grace and power to do these things that God has called us to do. He's called us to live pure and holy lives. That's impossible in a world that is full of temptation, full of earthly pleasures, pulling us from the left to the right in every direction. But you know what? It's, the good news is that we have the gift of the Holy Spirit who empowers us to do these impossible things that God calls us to do. But the question is, are you and I making room? Are we willing to move things out of the way in order to make room for the Holy Spirit to come in and go to work in our lives, in our attitudes and in our desires? And so in this series for the first week, Pastor Michael, who came all the way from the Philippines, he talked about the person of the Holy Spirit. In the second week, Ulu spoke about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And so this week is week three, and we'll be talking about the sanctification of the Holy Spirit. That's a really long word, sanctification. Everyone say sanctification. Don't you feel just a little bit more holy now? Sanctification. That's five syllables of word. That's a lot of word. Okay, Uh, the scripture that I'll be reading to start us off this morning is Galatians 3, uh, and I'll be reading verses 1 to 6. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Some versions say hypnotized you or cast a spell on you. Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain if it really was in vain? So again I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by your believing what you heard? So Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Okay, in case you didn't catch it, Paul, the guy who wrote this letter to the Galatians, he's actually quite annoyed. And so what was happening there was in Galatia, there were false teachers. So they had, he had planted some churches over there in Galatia, which is like a region, kind of like the South Pacific, I guess. And he had planted some churches there and they were going well. They were churches that were full of Gentiles, so not Jews. And now there were some Judaizers or some people who had grown up as Jews. They were there trying to spread a false gospel amongst the Galatians. And they were spreading this lie that in order for them to get salvation, they, they were telling them that they still needed to do certain things. They still needed to stick to the rituals um, and the laws that Moses uh, brought in that old covenant. 
they were trying to say that the gospel that Paul had already preached to them, that the, pre- the gospel that we stand on here today, that you are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, they were saying that that is not enough. And it needed to be um, supplemented. It needed to be kind of like what we say today, you know, topped up uh, by rituals and acts and things like circumcision and following some of the laws of Moses. And Paul had heard about this and he was frustrated about it. So he wrote them this passionate letter saying, no, 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 no. Imagine getting a letter in your mail and it's addressed to you, idiot. <laughs> Seems pretty harsh, right? That's kind of like a modern uh, translation of that first, first, scripture, uh, first verse in that scripture passage that I read you. When it says, you foolish Galatians. Sounds really proper, eh? You foolish Galatians. But actually it can be translated into quite a harsh, harshly toned, and you know, I took it upon myself to put on a modern transliteration or trans whatever and starts off you idiot you precious idiots and remember Paul is talking to people that he knows he knows them well he had planted those churches there they looked up to him they respected him he was kind of like their apostle who had come and started the work there he knew them so it wasn't like he was just throwing out um you know insults to anyone who was listening He was actually calling them foolish. But by calling them foolish, he didn't mean that they were actually stupid or ignorant. There are actually two um, particular uh, translations of the word foolish. It's actually mentioned quite a few times in the uh, Greek in the New Testament. And there are two main ones that I want to mention today. So the first one is the ancient Greek word moros. And Jesus used moros in parables, such as, you know, the foolish man who built his house upon the sand. That's the word that Jesus used to describe him. And that means stupid, lack of understanding, to act as if brainless. So it's kind of like, you know, they just don't know any better, so that's why they're being stupid, because they don't know. You know, and when it comes to being stupid and ignorant, I actually have quite a lot of world experience. And one such example was uh, when we moved over here into Manurewa, Manurewa, and I forgot to update the details on uh, for my car, the address that goes with my car, and so I didn't know, but I got a speeding ticket on a speeding camera. <gasps> Forgive me, Lord. I must have been rushing to do the work of the Lord or something. <laughs> no, still breaking the law. Uh, and so I got this speeding ticket. I didn't know because they sent it to my old address. And I didn't get um, any of the letters that, you know, they say, you were speeding, you have to pay this much. And then, you know, they send you another letter and they say, you were speeding, you still have to pay this much. And then, you know, the letters get a little bit angrier and angrier. And I had no idea. Didn't know, so I wasn't paying any fees because I didn't know about it. Now, um, one day... <laughs> because my car is actually under Ulu's name. Uh, he got a phone call. Um, and, you know, praise God that the guy who was, um, you know, whoever was sending the letters, he actually gave Ulu a call. It was, it was a courtesy call. He didn't have to do that. 
called Ulu and he said, um, did you know that you're actually going gonna to get a court summons because of unpaid fines on your car? And he said, oh, which car is that? And then they gave him the number plate. Then he looked at me with love and passion in his eyes and he said, oh, really? Okay, thank you. We'll pay that shortly. Hung up. Stupid and ignorant. I didn't know. I was in trouble. Ulu was going to go to court. Again? No, just kidding. <laughs> because I didn't know. You know, I did something stupid, had no idea, and that's why we were going to be in trouble. That's that word, moros. And it's actually the word you probably have guessed, where we get the English word moron. Uh, now, there's another uh, Greek word that is translated into foolish, uh, in the New Testament, and that Greek word is anoetos. And that suggests that the person has an idea, they are able to think, but they are not using their ability to think, to actually think. So, you know, it's kind of like no one in this room, I'm sure nobody in this room has ever done this. It's kind of like, you know, when you're driving in your car, and everybody in here knows that cars need petrol, right? Yes, cars need petrol. And there's that thing on the dashboard, I don't know, somewhere right in front of your face, that tells you how much petrol you have. And it also tells you when you need petrol. And some of the flash cars I've seen, you know, ding, ding, you know, whistles and lights and things like that. And everybody has this knowledge, right? Everyone who has a car, everyone who drives has a license, even a lot of people who don't drive and don't have a license know that you need to buy petrol and put it into your car or else your car will stop going. You'd think that because everybody has this knowledge, you wouldn't see every now and then people doing the walk of shame down the street, holding the red container, you know, trying to hide their face from the cars going past. That is anoetos, where you have knowledge, you have understanding, you can think, but you're not doing it. And that is the foolishness that Paul was describing the Galatians as, in that he was talking about stuff that they knew. He, he knew that they knew the gospel. He knew that they understood that Jesus, putting our faith in Jesus, and through his grace and our faith, we are saved. That's all we have to do. He knew that they understood this, but for some reason, they were believing this lie. They were choosing not to put their knowledge and understanding into effect. They were allowing people to come and say, these religious people coming and saying, you know, do this and do that, and then you'll be holy, and then you'll be saved. And, you know, we're not talking about little things. We're not talking about, you know, pray three times a day. We're talking about cutting off parts of your body. You know, circumcision. They were actually, start, these are Galatians, they're not even Jews. They were starting to go and have this ritual done. I've heard it's not a very pleasant ritual. But Paul was very, very frustrated about this because they weren't even Jews. Because in the Old Covenant, circumcision was the thing that set the Jews apart from everybody else. But under this new covenant that we have, 
in Jesus, the thing that sets us apart is not circumcision. It's actually the presence of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. That's what the Bible says. It's not because of anything that we can do. But they were believing these lies. And you know what? When I was studying this, I was thinking, man, Southside, I, I want our church to be a kind of people where when the enemy tries to come in with lies and tries to, you know, suggest little things in our ears that are contrary or opposing to what the Bible says, I want us to be people who can recognize the lies and reject it. You know, we can't just believe everything that we hear, no matter who's saying it. Even if it's being said from this pulpit, from this microphone in this church on a Sunday morning. We don't want you to just believe what we say because we've got the mic. It's something that Ulu and I feel very strongly about. Just because it seems like that person seems to know what they're talking about. Or, you know, they seem to be a pretty charismatic preacher. You know, some of the preachers that you see on Facebook, some of the things they say aren't actually biblical. Just because they may have a huge church with awesome music, flashing lights and things like that, doesn't mean that you should just take on board what they say. No matter who it is, even if it's your parents, I want us to be the kind of people who think for ourselves, read what the Word says, and discern and decide what we take on into our hearts. Don't just rely on what people tell you or what you hear. We have the truth. We have the knowledge and the understanding, so we should use it. An example of where this went horribly wrong, about 500 years ago, there was so much corruption in the church, and somehow it had gone into the point where people were told that they could buy their way into heaven using money. And, you know, back then, a lot of the people couldn't read or write, let alone understand the original Greek or Hebrew. You know, they didn't have online lexicons that they could Google, you know, the meanings of things. And so back in those days, the church actually took advantage of this. And so they told people that by paying huge sums of money, you could buy what they called letters of indulgence. And those letters promised that if you pay this much and you buy these letters, you can go to heaven. You can even buy them for your great-great-grandmother, great-great-grandfather who passed away whenever, you can buy some for them too, and then they'll be released. If they're in hell, they'll be able to go to heaven as well. And one of, that's, that's basically what the church was doing in Europe back in those days. And one of the most, probably one of the most significant heroes of our Christian faith, Martin Luther, he felt like something wasn't right with that. He thought, surely God doesn't just want rich people to go to heaven. And so he committed himself. He was a scholar. He had studied at university. Uh, and he, he decided, he committed to himself to study the Bible day and night. Because he desperately wanted to find out the truth about salvation. And so he did, he did, he did just that. He studied day and night. And it was Paul's writings in particular in the New Testament, including this letter to the Galatians that we're looking at today, that helped Luther to understand. 
that salvation is something that Jesus accomplished for us. We needed saving, and that's why he came. He didn't just forgive our sins, but he made us holy before God. And that's why it was called good news. We don't have to do anything. It's been done. We just need to receive it. And so when Martin Luther had this revelation, when he realized the actual truth about salvation, he was so excited. And so, you know, there's, there's the historic event that basically sparked off the Reformation um, against the church and the way things were back then. He hammered 95 theses against the wall and uh, on the door of the, the big house of God in Wittenberg back in those days. Basically, that's just like the town notice board. And he just stuck up these 95 theses, 95 reasons why we are saved by God, not through the lies that the church was spreading back then. He even went on to translate the Bible into German, and so that he, he said, everybody needs to know this. Everybody needs to have access to this truth. He's one of my favorite fellas um, from history, and I'd encourage you guys to read up on him. He's got such an amazing story. You know, a story of someone who didn't just believe what was told to him, but he dug into the truth and pressed in and asked, and the Holy Spirit uh, led him to the truth. And so 1 Corinthians 6.11 says, but you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord, Jesus Christ, and by the Spirit of our God. That's basically a picture of what Jesus did for us and our salvation. Now, some of us in this room may have felt crippled because of the things that perhaps we have done in the past. You know, I'm sure, I mean, all of us are sinners, right? I'm sure that some of us would, would be horrified if our sins were projected onto the projector up here for all to see, you know. Some of us have done some pretty horrible things. But you know what? No matter how dirty or filthy our sin is or how shameful the things that we've done, aren't you glad that we are washed and we've been sanctified and justified in the name of the Lord? We didn't have to do anything. He did it all. I love Psalm 51 where David, you know, he had been confronted with some pretty horrible sins that he had committed. You know, he had, you know, uh, had lustful thoughts towards a woman. He had actually taken her, even though she belonged to someone else. He murdered her husband, who was actually serving and fighting for him. He had committed some pretty horrible sins. But when he prayed to repent... He said, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. He begged God not to take his Holy Spirit away because he knew that that is the worst thing that could happen. Because he had seen, you know, those of you who know the story of David, the king who was before David, Saul, he had seen firsthand what happens when the Holy Spirit leaves you. And so he knew that the most precious thing to have in your life, to have in your heart, was the Holy Spirit, because that is God's Spirit living in us. And he asked God to make him new again, and God did. You know, that's amazing, right? That what we could never do, somehow 
God has washed us and cleansed us and sanctified us. But still, you know, sometimes we still get sucked into the trap of trying to make ourselves feel worthy. You know, wrong thinking. Um, I just need to do this and then I'll feel better and then I'll be right with God again. But Paul, you know, in his angry letter, he was saying, you know, after beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? You know, right thinking is... I know I don't deserve a place in heaven, but I know that my sins are forgiven by God because Jesus Christ paid for them when he died on the cross for me. I don't work for salvation. It's already mine. But you know, it's not that, oh yay, now my sins are forgiven. Now I can go do what I want because Jesus paid for everything. No, it's because he, done, he has done all of that for me. Now I want to live my life for him, pleasing him and honoring him. And you know what? As my relationship with him grows, naturally I just start living a life that reflects him more. You know, it's, it's like our whole way of thinking needs to change. The starting point is not you trying to do all this stuff to get salvation. The starting point is actually a relationship with Jesus. That's the starting point. You know, it's kind of like when you move house. You know, I grew up my whole life in one house. 23 years until I got married, I lived in one house. And you know, those of you who have ever driven in a car with me, I'm pretty stink with directions. But if I was going from my house, I knew how to get everywhere from that one point because I had been there for so long. You know, I knew how to get to town, knew how to get to the airport, knew how to go north, south, east, west, as long as I started from my house. Anywhere else, I was doing U-turns, you know, like reversing. I'm really good at reversing, guys. Anyway, I can do U-turns in the smallest places because I've had so much practice. But, you know, when I um, got married, uh, we moved out west, lived in Mount Wellington my whole life. We moved out west to Te Aratu, which is way out west. And so now... There was a totally new starting point. I couldn't just hop in my car and go anywhere. I had to sit there for a while and think, okay, I'm going to here. How do I, how do, which route do I take? What streets? I had to really think about it, and then I could go. Sometimes still needed a few U-turns and reverses, but, you know, it took me a while to get used to that new starting point. We need to practice and become really good at this starting point, starting point of a relationship with Jesus. Stop starting at your actions, the things that you've done, the things that you haven't done, the mistakes that you've made. Our starting point is our relationship with Jesus, not obeying laws, not rituals. Some of us need to get used to that starting point. It may take a little bit of practice. It may take a little bit of thinking and um, stopping and slowing down and things like that. But as your relationship and your love for Jesus grows, as you get to know him more and more, you naturally find yourself naturally obeying his laws. Naturally, you just want to start, you know, stopping, stopping lying and hating on people. You find that that stuff just tends to happen. 
but the starting point is the relationship with Jesus. And that's what this sanctification is. That's what sanctification in the Holy Spirit is all about. The sanctifying work that the Holy Spirit does as we continue to walk in relationship with Jesus, it transforms us. So the definition of sanctified is to be set apart as holy for a special purpose, for a holy purpose. And sanctification is God's way of making us pure, making us holy and making us more like him. 1 Thessalonians 4, 7 says, God has not called us to impurity, but to sanctification. He wants us to be different from the world so that when they see us, they know that our God is real. But you know what? When we get saved, it doesn't automatically make us perfect. Far from it, right? And so I wanted to make this clear today that sanctification is a lifelong process. It's all about progress. You know, when we put our faith in Christ, we're saved because of what he did on the cross. By his grace, he chooses to dwell inside us. And daily, we walk with Christ. And we become more and more like him as the Holy Spirit guides. We're not perfect. We are a work in progress. But you know, there's an important thing for us to note. There should be progress. You know, I was thinking about how, you know, we should be growing and becoming more like Jesus. And I, I was thinking about, you know, my son, Maya, who is 14 and a half. Now, when he was one, he was quite a kind of like an early developer or whatever. But when he was one, he was kind of ready to start toilet training. And so, you know, he was so cute and we were so excited because, you know, we don't have to buy nappies anymore. And so we had this, you know, little step in our bathroom and we put it in front of the toilet and, you know, showing him how to use the toilet. And he was so cute, you know, and he loved the sound that it made, if you know what I mean, of the liquid. And he would do things like, you know, he'd he just one, one, like, I think he was like just over his first birthday and he'd stand there and, you know, you'd hear the little tinkle and he found that, you know, if you moved a little bit, it could go in the water and then it could kind of go on the side and it made a different sound, you know, so it's like, kind of like, shh. I did ask his permission to share the story, by the way. Um, and it went, shh. And so one day, he would, he would do that every time. And so one day I walked in and I was like, what are you doing? And then he goes, shh, huh? <laughs> yes, and so I had to, you know, clean it up. But, you know, when I told Ulu, we laughed. We thought it was so cute, you know, because, oh, it's so, this is so cool. You know, soon he'll be doing this and doing that. And he was one, so we were quite proud of him because apparently, you know, some of my friends were saying, that's actually quite impressive. And so I was like, oh, that's so cute, you know. And so as I was mopping the floor and things like that, I was thinking, oh, this is so cute. And so um, a lot of you guys know I work at a school, and most of the students at this school are teenagers. And the other day, a couple of our kids, uh, Layson and Devante, they're members of our church here, they are... Um, in my, the villa that I work at. And they came running to me one afternoon and they, were, they had this look of horror on their faces and they were like, 
oh my gosh, somebody made a mess in the bathroom. What are we going to do? We want to go to the bathroom, but it's disgusting. And so, you know, they were so outraged. And, you know, so um, I was like, okay, okay, all right, right, go use the other bathroom and then come, we'll sort it out. And so, you know, because they are such special, you know, awesome young men, um, I asked them to clean it. And we stuck the sign up on the wall. We aim to please. Can you aim to please? But you know what? When they were mopping up the floor that someone else had made, you know, a mess that someone else had made, knowing that our students are teenagers, they weren't saying what I was saying. You know, oh, it's so cute. Oh, that's so, oh. They were disgusted. They were horrified <laughs> because it's not cute if there's no progress, right? If something is healthy, it should grow. It should progress. If you're not progressing, there's something wrong. And so as we walk with the Holy Spirit, as we walk with God and we become more and more like him, a few years down the, down the track, there should be progress. We're still not, never going to be perfect. But there should be progress. You know, it's nice to kind of look the same after 10 years. You know, it's nice when you see people that you haven't seen in a long time. They go, oh, my gosh, you haven't aged. People always say that to me. Do they say that to you, Ulu? No. <laughs> no, they always say that to him. There's just something that's gone that was there before. But, you know, it's nice to look the same after a decade or two. But, you know... We shouldn't still struggle with the same stuff after a decade or two. You know, we shouldn't still have the same weaknesses after a decade or two, or even after a few years. You know, we've got Victory Weekend coming up, and I love what Gigi was saying about her experience at Victory Weekend. You know, I have been to almost all of the Victory Weekends that we've done here in Every Nation Auckland, at least maybe... I don't know, 13, 14, maybe 15 of them. And one of the things that I love about Victory Weekend is that it's the best place to see the Holy Spirit at work. You know, I, in all of those times, you know, I've, yeah, I've heard people tell their stories and talk about things that have happened to them and, you know, cried with them and prayed with them. You know, some of these people who have been through some of the most horrible Betrayal, you know, or abandonment, or been lied to, um, been cheated on, had hearts broken, basically lives ruined by people. And, you know, I've sat there and listened to stories and just really cried with some of these people because it's like, what can I do? <laughs> I don't have anything that's going to make it better. All I have is the truth. And then right in front of my eyes as the truth of the word of God pierces through their hearts. You know, I've seen the Holy Spirit move right in front of my eyes and just sat there in just complete amazement as I've heard some of these ladies pray things like, God, I forgive this person. Thank you for the cross. I'm so, so grateful that now I'm able to move on, you know? And I'm like, what? That's amazing. 
And then, you know, some of these ladies, you know, they walk through the process of walking that forgiveness out in discipleship relationship. You can't do that kind of thing without the Holy Spirit's power. You know, people who aren't even sorry. And I've seen ladies just forgive like it was nothing and walk it out and accept and embrace the power of the Holy Spirit to walk those things out. You know, I've seen God do it in my own life as well. Every victory weekend that I go to, God shows me something else that he wants to heal, something else that he wants to deal with in me. But you know what? One cool thing is that it's usually something new. I'm so grateful that some of the big things that I used to deal with back in my first victory weekends, they're no longer a problem today because of the Holy Spirit's working in me and helping me to grow. And I know that there's countless stories the same in this room. Sanctification is an ongoing lifelong work that the Holy Spirit does in us. Uh, and also, sanctification is a cooperative process. I was, I was laughing when I um, read this story about a guy named Stacy King. He is a basketball player. I'm not a big basketball fan, but I um, laughed when I read a story. Uh, he was in the Chicago Bulls uh, around 1990 with Michael Jordan. That's actually a guy I've heard of. And uh, he was kind of known to kind of crack jokes to reporters, you know, a bit of a character, a bit of a cheeky guy. And um, in March of 1990, the Chicago Bulls played against the Cavs, and they won. But Michael Jordan scored a record number of points, and he was known to have said this. Stacy King, who was a rookie uh, at the time, he says, I'll always remember this as the night that Michael Jordan and I combined to score 70 points. That's a lot of points to score in one game. But he only scored 16, um, Jordan scored 69 points. And Stacy King scored one point. But it's true, they combined, and it was 70 points. Even I know that. In the same way, we must cooperate with the Holy Spirit in order to see the sanctification work in our lives. We have to, co we have to cooperate with Him as He works continuously in us. But you know what? When we cooperate, when we just give that little bit of cooperation, amazing things happen. But the good news is that he will be faithful to finish the work that he started in us. And that's, you know, one of the reasons why we are preaching this series on making room. Because we want to see God's full uh, plan come into fruition in our lives, you know. God's grace is there to give us a way out every time we're tempted. He also gives us the desire to do what's right. He also gives us the power and the strength and the grace and the faith that we need to do what's right. He basically does all of the hard work. But, you know, we could get to contribute just that one point 
And that one point is this. Are we going to obey? Are we going to cooperate when he leads us, when he tells us things? Are we going to listen? Are we going to follow his, prop, his promptings? You know, what does the leading of the Holy Spirit look like? What does it sound like, you know? Sometimes the Holy Spirit's prompting, it sounds like a thought that comes to mind as you're reading your word. You know, when you're reading and meditating on scripture and an idea comes to mind about a person maybe who offended you, and then suddenly you feel an urge to pray and forgive them. That's the Holy Spirit. Because it wouldn't be me by myself, that's for sure. You know, or maybe you're at work or at school, and the, and the, the, the people that you're with, they start complaining or gossiping or backstabbing a colleague or a classmate, and you feel like you should walk away from the conversation, even if it's juicy, <laughs> that's the Holy Spirit. Sometimes the Holy Spirit sounds like your friend or your spouse, your husband or your wife, because that's what a spouse is. Sometimes it sounds like your, your small group leader or the person that you're meeting up with for discipleship. Why? Because God often uses people around us to help guide us and prompt us. You know, uh, the Bible says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Have you ever sharpened something like, you know, a knife or a pencil or your samurai sword? <laughs> It doesn't look like much fun for the thing that's being sharpened, right? You know, there's grinding, it's rough, there's bits flying off everywhere. It looks quite painful, actually. But we need those discipleship relationships in our lives because we can't be sharpened on our own. You know, we need people who love us and love God enough to tell us the truth, to confront us and ask us the hard questions. Like, hey, have you been praying for your family? Have you been praying for your husband? Have you been praying for your wife? Have you been reading your word? Have you been praying? You know, I want to be sharp, don't you? I want us to be sharp. You know, I want to be ready when God calls on me to do something great. You know, I want to be all prayed up when he asks me, hey, step out and talk to your friend about me. Tell, tell them that I love them. I've been doing things in their life and they need to hear it right now, you know. I want to be sharp and ready to obey, to cooperate, to contribute my one huge point to God's million, trillion, billion. And so I want to close with this scripture, Hebrews 12, 1 to 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders the sin hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us fixing our eyes on Jesus the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin which so easily entangles us yes we all know that sin entangles us but there are certain things that aren't necessarily sin, but they do entangle us as well. 
Right now, as we pray to close, I'd, I'd like us just to open our hearts to the Holy Spirit. If there's anything that He would want us, not necessarily sin perhaps, but something that hinders, that He would like us to cast off, something that He would like us to be rid of, to make room for His Holy Spirit. Because sanctification is about pressing in to the Lord cooperating with the Holy Spirit and being obedient when he prompts us. Yes, he asks us to do hard things, but he gives us everything that we need, including the supernatural power to do them. Let us pray.